Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. So my name's Spence. If you're newer to Mercy, uh, we are in a series this summer on the Ten Commandments. On the Ten Commandments that we've kind of tongue-in-cheek titled, uh, these are the Ten Ways to Be Perfect. Right? And we've done that for a couple of reasons. I mean, really, God, this is like a highlight moment in all of Scripture. Uh, again, if you're newer with us, catching you up, big moment in Scripture, God summarizes all of His law and lays it out in really simple, easy-to-grasp uh, language. And if we were to actually apply all of this and live by all of this all the time, man, our, we would flourish here in our lives because this is how God has designed us to live. But we say it tongue-in-cheek because we all know that we all break these commandments on a regular basis, and none of us can live perfect. And so we're looking at how do we approach these commandments in a way that doesn't give us a ton of guilt, but actually creates freedom for us to live inside of these and pursue these. And we've seen time and time again, we only do that through the grace of Christ. Well, today's commandment, we are in the ninth commandment, so we're almost done. And like I said, I'm going to be bummed when we're finished with this thing, but it's been such a good summer. Um, the ninth commandment is the one I think maybe out of all of them that we are the most comfortable in breaking, and the one that we are maybe a little bit the most, uh, I want to say, flippant about. The ninth commandment, let me go ahead and put it up here for you. It says, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. So if you're opening up your Bible, get over there, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. That's our main verse today. Today, we are talking about lying. Talking about lying. Aren't you excited? Um, we all do it. I don't need to go to great lengths to convince you um, that you have done this, right? Whether it's your resume where you managed to turn um, camp counselor that you have for one summer into like leadership development training program or something like that, you know, that you were really getting there. Or maybe it's your online dating profile where you had that picture from 15 years ago and it's still up right now. And when you're at your peak, uh, maybe it's calling in sick when you were actually out on the lake. Maybe it's checking, yes, I have read all the terms and conditions when you know, of course, that you haven't. Maybe it's no officer, I did not realize I was going 20 over the speed limit. Maybe it's uh, no, I didn't get your email, your text, your phone call. Who dis? I got a new number, you know, something like that. Whatever it is, whatever it is, exaggeration. Y'all, there is a reason, um, to use a, an example, there's a reason that the story Pinocchio has managed to like stand the test of time. I mean, think about that story for just a second, if you don't know it. It's a, a puppet boy who is animated because he was carved out of wood that was somehow animated, right? And so he runs around, and he's kind of a little bit of a protagonist. He's basically good. You kind of want to root for him, but he has the propensity to lie. And the story of Pinocchio is chronicling his, uh, the trouble that lying gets him into. Goes through this cycle, right, where he lies, and then he feels bad about the consequences of lying because when he lies, his nose gross, right? And so he feels bad, not about lying, but about the consequences of his lying. And then when he feels bad and he's crying, some blue fairy comes in and, and says, okay, I'll fix you back to the way you were and shortens his nose. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to lie anymore. And that lasts for about six minutes. And then he goes back into lying again and again, right? You know, the original Pinocchio story it was written in the late 1800s by an Italian author, and it was actually written as a tragedy. 
So the way the original Pinocchio ends, be ready to really be lifted up this morning, okay? The way the original story ends is that Pinocchio's enemies, the cat and the fox, finally capture him and they hang him. And the story, I kid you not, ends with the author saying, and Pinocchio breathed his last breath and could lie no more. Period, the end. So be encouraged. Um, you are sent. No, we're not. We're going to go beyond that today. Um, I don't know what kind of dark time was happening late 1800s in Italy, but the idea was that it was meant to be this huge warning against having a casual relationship with the truth. And I think today we're going to see some ways that you and I lie, maybe some that we don't realize, but the harder task today, and the one that we're after, is to talk about why we lie. And what we're going to get to is, and the way I've kind of titled this sermon and what we're going after, the pursuit of what we're going after today is the lie behind our lies. The thing that we believe that causes us to speak and act in ways that aren't true. There's something that we believe that causes us to act, right? Because every action has a belief pushing it forward. And there's something in a moment, every time we're deceiving, every time we're giving half-truths, every time we're exaggerating, every time we're flat out lying, every time we're gossiping, all those things, we're believing something that I want to suggest isn't true at all. And there's one common lie underneath every lie, pushing behind, motivating every lie that we tell. And that's where we're going today. And we're going to talk about why this is so big of a deal that God would put it in the Ten Commandments. Right? I mean, think about it. This is one that's made it into the ten. Why is it such a big deal that even one little white lie, which um, just a little sidebar from my history, when I heard little white lie growing up, I thought that was like just describing me, you know, because I was a little white guy. So I was like, oh, I'm little, I'm white, and I'm lying. So that's what that is. And then it's like one day I'll grow up and do big white lies. But that's, um, turns out that's not what I was talking about at all. Um, but why even the, the, a little small lie is enough to, according to Scripture, condemn you to be apart from God for all eternity. That's the stakes that we're talking about according to Scripture. Why? So our outline is going to be real simple. First, what does God have to say about lying? All right? And to do that, I'm going to give you three truths about lying from Scripture. Then we're going to look at why we lie, the lie behind our lies. We'll kind of use that to build us to our, our core point today, the lie behind our lies. And finally, we'll look at the hope of Christ for a bunch of serial liars like us. All right, I've told, just like I told you last week, cards on the table where we end this week, same place we end every week when talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's described, I think, just summarized in a good verse, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The goal of today is not to leave you beat down by the fact that you sin and the fact that you disobey God, but to instead show you the hope of Christ for even people like us who run away from God. So we're gonna get into the Bible. Uh, like I said about some of these commandments, um, these, these commandments are summaries of God's teaching from all of Scripture. So we'll start in the commandment, but we'll look at all of Scripture today, or at least uh, several spots in it, all right? So first, three truths about lying. What's God say about it? The first one is simple, lying tears down other people. That would actually be our commandment that we have, Exodus 20, 16, right? Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. At first read, this seems to be a specific command focused on a legal situation, right? You're in court you're a witness, you're giving testimony about your neighbor who is on trial, and what God is saying to the people of Israel is, don't give a false testimony about your neighbor. Speak what is true. And there is, that I want you to see, there is a legal sense to this. When you read false testimony, what you got to read there is like harmful speech, 
saying what isn't true, somehow injuring another through your speech. If you're asked about your neighbor, God says, say what's true. And that's because um, the author of Proverbs is going to elaborate on this. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth, favor better than silver and gold. The proverb, what Proverbs is saying is that words, words are far, far more powerful, more lasting than wealth. A good reputation, and a reputation is what others say about you and what you say about other people. A good reputation is powerful. And when you say something about someone else that isn't true, you're tearing down something more valuable to them than all the wealth they could accrue over their whole life. Proverbs 25, 18, a person giving false testimony against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, a sharp arrow. Y'all, the summary of the Ten Commandments is to love God and to love our neighbor. The Ninth Commandment says, well, of course, that means we can't lie about our neighbor. That's not love. Lying instead, it's like a, it's like a club you're beating your neighbor with. It's like a sword that you're attacking your neighbor with. It's like an arrow that you are targeting your neighbor. And this is not overspeak to say that giving false testimony, lying about someone else is like you are attempting to murder them through your words. The Bible is not using casual language. When you lie about someone, you are attempting to harm them. Augustine said the tongue can inflict greater wounds than the sword ever could. Words are powerful. You know the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but anybody finish that? Words can never hurt me. Man, that's just not true, <laughs> right? In fact, the reason we say it is to try and build up inner defenses against the power of words that are coming at us because the reality is words can crush people. As a pastor, you know, not just as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, but also the scriptures call me to live in a way that's above reproach, specifics on pastors in there, but it calls that to all Christians. And so I seek in every way that I can to live in a way that there's no room for someone to lie about me in a way that would be believable. But still, I have seen the damage, the lifelong damage that an unfounded false accusation, a lie can have on a person's personal life, on their career. We have all seen it in the news time and time. And this commandment, of course, was written before everyone had iPhones, body cams, before we had NCIS to teach us how to handle any situation, you know. Um, so a person's testimony would determine another person's fate. And it still does, right? That's why we still swear on the stand to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because without the truth, the whole legal system that we have would crumble, which warrants a comment, by the way, about how Lying tears down not just the person you're lying about, but also a whole lot of other people that you would consider innocent bystanders, like the children of a spouse who has an affair. You wouldn't want to ever hurt your children, of course, but your lying leaves major scars on them as well. Or the employee who discovers the boss has embezzled money. The, the boss would say, I would never want to hurt my employees. That's not why I'm doing this, but nonetheless, you're leaving scars of mistrust of authority on all of them. We are fools if we think our lying only affects us and maybe one other person. Lies are kind of like, best way to, I don't know, there's plenty of ways to describe it, but like a, it's on the lake recently, and you know, you got those speedboats that just go flying through, or someone on a jet ski just going flying through the no-wake zone, you know, just forgetting that that sign exists there, and there's just this wake that goes going through the water, and it rocks a boat about 30 yards away, and somebody on that boat kind of wobbles and hits their head on a rail, 
And you're like, you had no idea. He had no idea that that was going to cause that. But that's kind of like what lying does. You have no idea the destruction that you're causing other people. But I will say, as much as it harms others, lying actually hurts the individual doing it the most, hurts you the most. One of the things the Bible makes a big point on is that lying ultimately has such a toxic nature to it that it will bring more harm to you over the course of your life than anyone else, which is ironic because the reason we lie, one of the main reasons we lie is to try and preserve ourselves or get ahead, you know, and try and do something to, to make our, put ourselves in a better situation. Let me show you what the Proverbs say about that. Proverbs 12, 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only just for a moment. There's no future for the liar. He mortgages his future to try and make something good happen for himself in the present. But y'all, his future's ruined. No one believes him, trusts him. Ultimately, short-term gain will yield long-term pain and destruction in his life. Or Proverbs 20:17, food gained by fraud is sweet to a person, but afterwards his mouth is full of gravel. Proverbs 21:6, making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist. And listen to what it's, what it's, how it finishes a pursuit of death. Can you imagine? I mean, let's just use that, that first one there, the first proverb, like eating chocolate, Courtney's chocolate chest pie, y'all. It is something from the heavens. I can't imagine. Take a big old bite of that, and then it turns into a big mouthful of rocks in my mouth, right? This is the liar who enjoys the gains of his or her lies for a minute, but then the personal consequences become too much to bear, right? They come back on you. Making a fortune through lying is a pursuit of death. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 16, what will it profit someone if they gain the whole world yet lose their soul? Lying corrodes the soul. You know, it's common for me on like Thursday, Friday, we're uh, at our family dinner table and I'll kind of put the subject of the sermon out for um, my family to talk about, right, and for them to speak into, because I figure if I can get a, a group of kids to, I'm able to communicate the main idea and they can get it, then I'm doing a pretty good job with it so far, right? And so I'll say, okay, guys, here's what I'm preaching about this weekend, and they'll go, oh, really? Can we not talk about that? And I'll say, yeah, we are going to talk about that. One day you won't live here, and then you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, okay? So um, we get that, we get in there, and so I said, all right, all right, guys, topic for this week is lying. Why is lying bad? And, you know, I expect what a couple of them said, which was, well, because it's not the truth, uh, because it hurts people. But my 11-year-old, here's what he said. he said. He said, well, when you lie, you feel bad about it, and it becomes a thing you carry around with you, and it makes you feel terrible like this heavy weight on your shoulders until you finally tell the truth. And Courtney and I were like, whoa, what books has he been reading lately? Wow, you know, you un and Courtney said, you uncorked something deep right there, buddy. Um, I thought it was wild that he went first to how lying affects the one who is lying. And he's right. Because when you're in that, it becomes this poison on you. It becomes this heavy burden that you carry because you know what you're doing. You know whatever deception you're carrying out is harmful. And there's this tuning fork down in your soul that you were created with. You're not a Christian in here. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you were created with this sense of justice and you feel it. And when it's you that's doing the injustice, man, that tuning fork is going off. You know it's wrong. You're trying to justify it somehow, but you feel compromised in your soul, and it weighs on you. See, that's what sin does. It justifies itself and condemns you at the same time. To get more serious, to tie it to last weekend, 
I had a friend who came, I know this is the second time I've used this example this morning, but a friend who came and told me he was having an affair, which is a lie because his wife thought he was being faithful only to her, and he wasn't, right? Affairs are lies down at their core. And he said, he said, I know if this ever gets out, it's going to crush my wife and my marriage. That's the way he was approaching it. If this ever gets out, then there will be damage. I was like, man, listen, <laughs> you, you seem to think that there's only going to be consequences to your deception if your deception is made public. That's absurd. The damage has already been done. The marriage vow has been broken. Your prayer life, man, his prayer life had become this just obsolete because he knew every time he sat down to pray, there would be only one thing on his mind because it's the only thing the Lord would bring to his mind, and that would be his deception because the Spirit's not going to go along with him pretending like that's not really happening. No, by lying, he was hardening his heart against God, and every day he waited to finally confess and go to what is true. Every day, he multiplied the damage he was doing to his family. Lying doesn't just affect others. It affects you the most. And if you're comfortable with lying, if you're comfortable with half-truths, if you're comfortable with deception in all of its forms, we're going to look at those forms in a second, it may reveal, and listen, I do not say this lightly, okay? You've got to believe that there was some um, soul-searching conviction. This series has actually been quite painful and brutal to preach through because the Lord just keeps working through me every weekend. But if that's you and you're comfortable in that space, this needs to be a warning and a wake-up call to you this morning, that you are hardening your heart against God and you may not know him at all, which leads me to the third truth about lying. Every lie you tell tells a lie about God. And this is getting us down to the lie behind our lies. Now, again, I'm talking particularly to Christians here on this one, okay? I think it's important to say to you who are not Christians, you are not bound to a Christian ethic. You're not bound to this commandment. This is one of those things that set Christians apart in that they have bound themselves. Every person who professes to follow Christ has bound themselves to a God who claims to be truth. Okay, not just a God who is always truthful, a God who claims to be truth, who claims to be the way, the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. That's what he claims. We believe his word is true, his character is true, and we're called to worship him, which means respond with all of our life in spirit and in truth. And we, when we deceive others, we're misrepresenting God. But hold on, you say, you good Bible students in the room, didn't God allow people to lie a couple of times in scripture and even bless their lying? Well, thank you for asking, guys. I love when we get interactive like this. Um, very thoughtful of you. This is probably the question, when is it okay to lie? Is probably the most sinister question, form of a question that Christians ask, and it's asked about every commandment. Is there a time when it's okay to sin? That's what's under that. But let me give an answer, maybe not one you're hoping for. Um, I think there are times, okay? I think there are times where someone who is faithfully walking with the Lord can feel constrained in some extreme life-threatening type situations to oppose the evil in front of them by lying intentionally. That doesn't mean it's not sin. That doesn't mean that it's just okay. But I think there are times where someone can feel that way in good faith. Let me give you a couple of scenarios where we see that play out in Scripture, all right? Uh, the first is the Hebrew midwives from Exodus 1. So we're in Exodus 20. You want to do some reading on your own later? Go back to Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt comes to these midwives and says, listen, for every boy, Jewish boy that is born, 
We want you to kill him right there when he's born, okay? There's this prophecy about some guy coming. We want to make sure to head that off. So every single boy that's born wants you to kill him. Verse 17, though, of chapter 1 says the midwives feared God and they disobeyed the king, all right? It says that because they feared God, they disobeyed the king. Well, the king comes to them. He's like, wow, we got all these Hebrew boys running around, right? And verse 19, the midwives said to Pharaoh, well, here's why. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for the Hebrew women are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. All right, that's there. You can kind of see they're like, uh, we tried, but they had them babies fast, okay? And we didn't have a chance to get there. So, but then verse 20, look at this. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. You're like, wait a minute. God blessing this deception? Let me give you the other scenario, Joshua 2. Joshua sends out spies into Jericho to check things out. Jericho finds out there are spies here. The king finds out, and so he sends the people to go knock on the door of Rahab. Rahab's a prostitute in Jericho, and the king's men come, knock on the door. They say, hey, where are they? And Rahab says, you're in luck, because there's a town about three miles that way, and that's where they are. They went that way. They're over. This is my just paraphrasing of the conversation that happens, okay? And she says, you're that, they're that way. Now, the whole time, they're hiding on her roof. So they go out that way, you know, head down the street trying to find them. And the rest of the chapter, really the rest of the testimony of Scripture, seems to be that Rahab has looked on favorably for this action. I mean, even up to Hebrews 11.31, which is like the Hall of Fame for Old Testament characters, okay? In the Hall of Fame, you get Rahab, the prostitute mentioned. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. So what is happening here? It seems like lying is approved of as lying, or are there situations where it's okay to lie? When you read slowly through these accounts, what becomes clear and apparent is that in both cases, it is the heart of the Hebrew midwives, the heart of Rahab, that is approved of. It is their faith and trust in God that is approved of. Their act of lying is never specifically commended. Now, I don't say that to try and like do an end around around the question, okay? But it's important to know that that is what's happening there, that nowhere is the act of lying celebrated in Scripture. It seems better to say that under certain extremely unusual situations involving life and death type scenarios, there may be a situation where faithful men and women of God may, may feel constrained to oppose some kind of evil by lying intentionally. I believe those cases to be rare. And I believe repentance for that lying is the appropriate response when doing it. But regardless, okay, Regardless, the other 99.9% .9 of the Bible is going to present a teaching online that I'm summarizing by saying every lie you tell tells a lie about God. There's a scene with Jesus and some of the Jews who were listening in. They were considering following him. Actually, it started following him around. Uh, he says, John 8, uh, verse 32, he says, listen, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, if. Because then you will know the truth, and maybe this is one of those sayings of Jesus you've heard before. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, actually, the, the response to this is why you always read um, statements like this. You go back and you look at the context and make sure you understand what in the world the Bible is talking about, what Jesus is talking about. They're actually confused by that. And they say, wait a minute, Jesus, we're already free. What do you mean we will be free? We are already free. And Jesus says, no, no, 
Everyone who commits a sin, that includes you guys, everyone commits a sin is actually a slave to sin and is living in the house of sin. So you're a slave in that house, but who the son sets free, Jesus says, is free indeed. So I know you're descendants of Abraham, but listen, you're out here trying to kill me. That's not good. I mean, it's just read through John 8. That's what you're going to see. And he keeps saying, that's not surprising to me that you're trying to kill me because, hey, that's what your father does. So he keeps telling them, that's what your father does. And they're like, "Um, we have a father. That father is God. And Jesus says, nope. Verse 42, John 8, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I'm here. I didn't come on my own. He sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you can't listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Jesus is introducing some spicy language right here at these guys that the devil is their father, and the devil's the father of lies. And before you skeptics, right off, I know sometimes y'all hear the word devil, and y'all just kind of write off the Bible as a myth as soon as you hear, hear that. But listen, I want you to consider the larger story of the Bible. Adam and Eve at the beginning are walking in harmony and perfect union with God until Satan comes in, and what does he whisper? A lie. Has God really said, don't eat that fruit? Don't trust God? He just is scared that you'll be like him if you eat that. You can't trust God. Trust me. Trust yourself. Don't trust God. The first sin was believing the first lie. And right here is the lie behind all our lies. Every time you lie, there's that same voice that spoke to Adam and Eve, speaking to you, whispering in that first person, I cannot trust God. Every time you deceive, every time you gossip, every time you give some half-truth, every time I cannot trust God is the lie that's motivating the lies we tell. You don't trust God will provide for you, that God will be faithful to you, that God cares about you. If God is God of truth, and if he's the one who says, my people are to worship me in spirit and in truth, every time you speak or walk out some sort of deception or lie, there's something happening down in your soul that says, I can't trust God. Got to trust myself here. Got to trust my own instincts here. And that right there is Satan's one main weapon, Jesus says. His aim is to create chaos and destruction in relationships. His aim is to create chaos and destruction in a single person's mind and soul, in communities, in countries, and in cultures, the kind of chaos, destruction, and confusion that leads people away from God. And his one main weapon is deception. It's lies. And when we lie, you see what's happening there is we are not just misrepresenting God, telling a lie about God. We are actually representing Satan himself. I want you to catch, this is hard. I feel like this sermon is is so hard this morning, so hard because you could be like, lying's not that big of a deal. And we're gonna talk about that in a second. I want you to see plain face what the scriptures say about it. Let me show you what I mean um, by believing that lie behind our lies through some of the different ways we lie. Here's the first one, gossip. Gossip, sharing information about someone else given for the purpose of hurting that person. You're sharing damaging information, and though you'd never say it, down in your heart, you are giving a false testimony about them and you are trying to murder them. The perception you're trying to give 
is that whoever that is is less than who they are perceived to be, and you need to make sure everybody knows that. So you need to insert yourself, the harbinger of truth, into the situation, but that's not your place. Instead of speaking about that person in public, you need to be praying for that person in private. That's your space, and that's my space. Instead of prying into something that isn't your concern that you're not in, and you trying to manipulate others into gossiping about someone else, you need to pray, trust God, and keep your mouth shut. I mean, that is biblical truth from Proverbs right there. And this is killer in the church. In fact, let me go to Ephesians 4.25. Paul says, in light of who we are in Christ, let's together put away lying, and not just put away lying, speak truth. Each one to his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. This is such a big one. I'm going to come back to this at the end of the sermon. My sermon ends basically with, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and then a call to practice truthfulness with one another. Like for Mercy Church, what if every ministry team, every community group, every prayer gathering, every time Mercy members are together, we would push back against the corrosive, toxic, Satan-born practice of lying, especially in the form of gossip, but in all of its forms. And instead, we would lovingly speak truth Lovingly speak truth with one another and live truthfully. Lying is a part of the old nature, and we're new creations with a new father, the father of truth. By God's grace, y'all, I feel like that is the spirit of our church, but I want us to press deeper into it. Here's another way we, way we lie, not just gossip, but slander and libel. Same vein as gossip, but even more targeted. It's when you just flat out misrepresent who a person is. You justify it under, you know, well, you start to justify your sin. Remember what I said? Sin seeks to justify itself. That person is a problem. This will help get rid of the problem because you don't think that you can trust God to take care of whatever that problem you perceive to be is. When you lie about another, you're doing the work of the father of lies. When you attack someone's character, you are verbalizing the very words of Satan himself. Here's another one, cruel humor. This one hurt me <laughs> this week thinking about it. Um, I'm not talking about humor done in love. I'm talking about mocking designed to make a person seem and feel less than they really are. It's tearing down a person made in God's image who God has, for whatever reason, brought them close to you. That's for you to bless them, but instead you mock and in doing so tear them down. Let me say this as one who used to have a deep, deep affection for sarcasm. Y'all, sarcasm destroys people and will ultimately leave you on a lonely island. It's the bully of all speech. And from a place of fear, you use words to bully others and lift yourself up because you don't trust God to accept you. You don't trust that God's acceptance of you is actually enough to sustain your soul. I'm talking to one who had to go through this whole thing where he would, I may not be the strongest, biggest guy in the room. How would I find acceptance? Not the best looking guy. I wasn't at that time. I realize now, again, it's self-deprecating. But uh, look, so that, that would be my MO, right? That would be my MO. I'll tear down others through humor so that I won't get in, in a whole lot of trouble. But the whole time what I'm trying to do is earn acceptance from the rest of my peers by targeting and striking someone with my words because I didn't believe God's love and acceptance for me in Christ was enough for me. And I wonder how true that is for so many of you. Y'all, the ability to turn a phrase, to tear someone down and do so in humor is celebrated in our culture. 
But if you believe the gospel that says you're accepted, man, you don't need to tear someone else down to find acceptance. There's enough there. You don't trust when you tear someone down with humor that being in God's image is enough for you to have self-respect. So as James says, with the tongue, here's what happens. With the same tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, but then we curse people who are made in God's likeness. With the same tongue, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things shouldn't be this way. It's not the way we were created. And so there's this thing where we'll come in here and we'll sing praises, and then with the same mouth, we'll go out and we'll tear other people down. No, if we believe that God says, I love you, if we trust that that love is enough and that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age, we don't need to tear someone down to earn love of others. Do you trust God? Leads to right to the next one, and that's racism. Listen to me, I've been in a middle-class white family my whole life. I know that the battle against racism is won more than anywhere else in the family living room. We're under the veil of privacy. People just speak out of their heart. And it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And any kind of comment or joke that reinforces some kind of degrading of an entire culture of people made in God's image is a lie. And it's done out of fear. For me, again, as a white person in the majority culture here, our racism usually comes from a sense of threat we feel toward minority cultures who may take my power, may take our power as if I have any power to keep. Y'all, God in his providence has made me a part of the majority culture here, and God has called me to use any power that I have to serve others as I have been served. So the question is, do I trust God? And if I trust God, do I believe that all people are made in his image? And if I do, I will stand up against any false testimony, any hate speech that would tear down my neighbor. Let me go to a couple more. I'm just going to put this whole bucket category under workplace lies, all right? Maybe it's lying on your resume. Maybe it's engaging in office politics where you're trying to pass off the responsibility. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that was their job. That was not mine. I wasn't in the loop on that assignment. Various ways of not communicating. How about this? You arrange the truth in a way that suits you, right? So that you abdicate your, any responsibility for something bad that happens. You use 360 reviews that are anonymous in nature to tear down the character of someone who supervises you. All these things break the commandment in the most literal sense in today's setting. Here's the last one, false teaching false teaching, particularly about God and his word. This would be bearing false witness against God himself. I'm not talking about denominational differences, okay, that are more about open-handed kinds of things. I'm talking about a casual or even deceptive relationship with God's word. I'm talking about that saying, man, come on. There can't really only be one way to heaven. I mean, I know what I see here, but God is a God of love. There can't really only be one. I'm sure at the end of the day, we're all gonna wind up in heaven right? I'm talking about, come on, man, they can't, God can't really expect us to wait until we're married and only have sex in the context of marriage. That seems pretty extreme. After all, we all have, we're biological creatures, have biological needs. I'm sure that that's not what he's after there. Listen, Mercy, I don't think our church is in danger of directly defying the truth. I think our greatest danger is being casual with it. That's where false teaching creeps in on us. Y'all, Christianity rises and falls on the ninth commandment. 
We claim that the Bible was written by eyewitnesses and interviewers of eyewitnesses, all overseen by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If truth is not at the center of our faith, then not only does the inspiration of God's word and the inerrancy of God's word come into doubt, but what we believe at all, how can we believe anything the Bible has to say if we don't condemn lying and promote truth? First John, he says what we're talking about, he's kind of recounting just the whole Christian faith. And he says, we're talking about the stuff of Jesus that we heard with our ears, saw with our eyes, and this guy that we all hugged with our hands. We were there. Jesus's mother was there. Jesus's brothers were there. His enemies were there. And then they became his friends. They saw him rise from death. The resurrection of Jesus. John says the historical fact that he died on the cross in the place of our sins. And he tells us, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's all about Jesus. He's the truth. He does the truth. He is the truth. He speaks the truth. He dies in the place of our sins all of us liars. He rises again to conquer sin and death. He pays our debt to God. And then 500 people see him rise from the dead all at one time. They're eyewitnesses. He appears to people over 40 days. They're eyewitnesses. You got guys like Thomas that come to see the scars. They're eyewitnesses. His mother, his brothers, they see him. They touch him, right? Proving that he's God and Savior. And all of that is based on us believing that it's true. Is it true? Y'all, the whole, whole movement of Christianity, the whole faith is based on us believing that the gospel is true. Our faith is built on a high, high belief in truth. To put it bluntly, to be casual with the truth is to be casual with God. That's the three truths about our lies. They tear down others, they tear down us, and they lie about God. So where do we go from here? Let me close this out this way. Two things. Devote yourself to truth and devote yourself to speaking truth. Devote yourself to, to receiving truth and to speaking truth. I think it's important to understand there's no hope for us in this without Jesus. Every single one of us has broken this law in one way or another. In fact, we all stand accused by not one, but two witnesses. We stand accused by God's law, right? Stated in the ninth commandment, reinforced in scripture. But we also stand accused by Satan, Right with these half-truths and, and lies that tell us there's no mercy available to us. Satan lies and he tells us the blood of Christ is not enough because you're going to go back and you're going to sin again. It's not enough for you. It's not strong enough to cover your sins. You're doomed. The deceiver tells us the same old line again. You cannot trust God. What we need is someone to stand in between us and our accusers. That's Christ. That's Christ. He stands in on our behalf. He makes peace between us, a whole bunch of rebels, and God. And God says, while we are still sinners, he dies for us. So then in response, what does John say? First John 2, little children, my sons and daughters, I'm writing these things so that you, that you don't sin, that you don't fall back into breaking the ninth commandment again. But if anyone does sin, great news. We have an advocate with the Father the one who would use his law to condemn us. But we have an advocate, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for that sin, for that lie, for that deception, for that time you gossiped. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. When you lie, the enemy wants you to feel guilt, like you're not good enough for God anymore. But Christ says, no, look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb. That's not you up there on the cross. That's Christ. So now you can walk free. What he's doing is he's saying the greatest way to pursue truth 
is just to pursue Christ himself. The more you know Christ, the more you set your mind on the things of Christ, the more you will live in the freedom of truth. Christ has taken our name, which was in the mud and and worthless, and he wrote that name into the book of life. Our reputation is upheld in Christ. Our image and our value and our acceptance is now found in Christ. God has defended and delivered us from breaking this commandment. So neither the testimony of the law against us or Satan himself can stick. So don't be surprised to hear me say something that might sound so fundamental and basic and simple, but so all important in this moment. Devote yourself not just to not lying, but to truth. Rest in his word. Go back to him every single, if nothing else happens out of this series. I pray that it would be Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2 would be what your, your heart just starts to beat as you fight against sin. That before you are given laws, you are told that you were brought out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. You were redeemed And now you obey as redeemed people not to earn God's acceptance and approval. Secondly, let me put Ephesians 4 back up here. Close our time. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each to his neighbor because we're members of one another. Instead of giving false testimony, half-truths, let's not just do nothing, let's speak truth. That's the positive of this command. Why? Because we're members of one another. We're one body in Christ. I heard one guy say it this way. Uh, It's like if the body is eating with the fork, right, and the eye lies to the hand about where the mouth is, there's a good chance the fork's going to stab the eye, right? He said that's kind of what we're getting at here when it comes to the body of Christ to lie about another is ultimately not only going to cause that person harm, but cause you harm as well because we are united together. We are one body, one spirit, so let's use our words. What if the fruit of today was to use our words to be intentional, to build one another up, to encourage, to not have any hint of falsehood or deception or evasiveness or gossip or anything like that in our church, which I know that's what the enemy would use to tear us down. Let's be accurate, truthful, honest, kind, and encouraging with one another and build up the body of Christ. I believe that to be the spirit of our church now, and I hope to see it continue to grow. May the enemy find no room to use his one weapon against us. Do you believe you can trust God? And do we believe that we can trust God in the face of what the enemy would throw at us time and time again to try and tear us down individually and us down together? We can trust God. We have acceptance in Christ, and he is enough. He is enough. Let me close by praying for you guys. Would you pray with me? Let me give you just a brief chance to respond to this, respond to God's word. I think what I want to do in this prayer is really walk you through confession. Do you, first question for you to talk to God about, do you trust him? And maybe it's just saying, God, I see that I haven't been trusting you. And that's what's led me to the lies that I've been telling. For some of you, it might be a, this might be just right in the face of something that you have been walking in for some time, maybe an extended lie you've been telling. But for others, maybe it's just a casual relationship with the truth. You lie where it benefits you and it doesn't really 
affect you that much. You say, God, I believe that I have acceptance, approval, and enough love in Christ that I don't need to lie to go find that. I confess to you where I have lied about who you are. I confess these lies to you. That's your first step, confess it to God. Believe that who Christ has set free from the father of lies is free indeed. You are under a new management, new authority. And the slavery of deception does not have hold on you now if you're in Christ. To God, thank you that I'm free. You need to pray for God to give you the courage to confess to another where you have been harming them with your words and they didn't even know it. This is how the church grows up into the image of Christ. It's individuals choosing truth to pray, God, give me courage to speak truth, to speak truth in love, to confess where I have been lying about you. And you thank him for your freedom in Christ. If you've never, you came in here not a Christian, you've never given your life to Christ, maybe the burden of your lying is what the Lord is using to draw you to himself. And he calls you to lay your sin down at the foot of the cross and believe this gospel message that he died for your sin. And you can receive that forgiveness and have life. Say, Father, I believe it and I receive it today. You pray, you respond as the Lord leads you.